Thanks for joining us for the Belgium Community Church Sermon Podcast. Our current series is called Not Alone. Even if we are surrounded with people, many of us feel alone at Christmas. Something or someone feels missing. But if the Christmas baby is truly God with us, then that means that no one is alone this Christmas. In some ways, Christmas is a nice, friendly, fluffy holiday. There are some details that are kind of hard to talk about with kids at the table. This Christmas, we were talking about the story in Matthew of Herod having all of the boys in the region two years and under killed. And one of my one of my kids said, "Do you think all of those Roman soldiers obeyed? Do you think any of them said, no, I'm not going to do this?'" It's a pretty gory thing to think about. Christmas is nice and friendly and soft, but in reality, there's also death, just hardness at Christmas. While we were telling that story, then I, I told the kids, I, I doubted it because you kind of don't get ahead as a Roman soldier disobeying orders. But I did tell them the story that I heard and um, that one time, within about a hundred years of that time, a group of Christians were sent out to stand knee-deep, waist-deep in a frozen lake and stripped naked until they froze to death. And the Roman soldiers surrounded the lake so that they couldn't escape and they couldn't get out. And uh, according to one of the stories of the martyrs, one of the Roman soldiers who was standing on the shore took his cloak off and got in with them to participate in their persecution and in their suffering. And I was thinking of that story going, where does courage like that come from? We look at the story of the Roman soldiers killing the baby boys in the region. We go, you don't get ahead disobeying orders. And so most of those guys probably had no issues obeying orders, doing what they were told to do, committing these atrocities and killing baby boys. But then we have other events where people do heroic things, especially in the name of Jesus. Heroic things like these Roman soldiers that said, we want to be identified with the Christians who are being killed. And I was thinking about that because I was like, "What, what creates that kind of extraordinary courage that would cause somebody what would cause somebody who's a Roman soldier just like those other ones to disobey orders and say I want to be in on this what is it that's going to cause somebody to live with extraordinary courage I don't know about you but I'm probably not going to be faced with the decision to kill baby boys in the coming year I'm not in the coming 20 years I'm probably not going to be faced with that choice I'm not I probably won't be faced with the choice of the Roman soldier standing on the shore of a lake, watching Christians freeze to death. But honestly, I I want the kind of courage that causes me to to attempt extraordinary things with Jesus. I don't want to just kind of fade through the next 30 or 40 years, let alone the next, next year. And I wonder if any of you also go, I've got so many hard things to bear this next year. Where does the courage come that would cause me to face that in an extraordinary way with some of you, I, I know the, the things that are happening at home, some of the things that have happening at work. I also know there's some things happening at home and happening at work that I don't know about. That you look at and go, how am I going to face these kind of things? And we come to Christmas, and we talk about rejoicing, and we talk about joy, and we talk about all of these things. But what I want to look at today is, how could the Christmas story turn a Roman soldier who's willing to kill others to save his own life? 
into the kind of Roman soldier that will give up his own life because he's found something worth giving up everything for. Where can we, you and I, find the kind of extraordinary courage in the Christmas story that can cause us to face 2020? With the kind of faith that causes us to go in and everything in us says preserve yourself and get out. Check out. Save yourself. Where are we going to find that in the Christmas story? I want, to, I want you to turn to the book of Matthew with me. What a, we've been going through Matthew 1 and Matthew 2 looking at the story of Jesus. The origin story. Where is this baby king come from? Who are his ancestors? What happened in the times surrounding his birth? And as we think about 2020, as we think about our lives and our own need for something to give us the courage to get out of bed one more morning, something to give us the kind of courage to face hard decisions and hard things. Kids, as you dream about a life and go, I want to do great things, where in the Christmas story can we find something that gives us an extraordinary courage to do something that goes beyond reason? What I want to show you in the book of Matthew today is I want to show you five passages of Scripture that Matthew says, old passages of Scripture that are fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. And what I want to show you is the way that those five passages and the convictions that come from them, how they drive extraordinary courage. Some of us just want ordinary courage. But how can these passages and the convictions that we find in them drive extraordinary courage? Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23 is where we're going to start. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray. God, as we open your word today, and as we hear that you made promises and that you kept those promises, and in those promises you call us to the convictions that can drive us to obedience, to living lives that please you. God, help us to hear your word. The book of Matthew, 12 specific times, uses the exact words that we see at the beginning of this. These, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. But 45 times in the book of Matthew, Matthew is pointing back to the Old Testament and says that Jesus is the Messiah, fulfilling all of God's promises from the Old Testament. And so we see that, that, that Matthew is particularly concerned. And five times he's going to say in these two passages alone, this fulfills this scripture. This fulfills this scripture. And what, do you, what I want you to see here at the beginning of this is that Matthew, God through Matthew, calls us to take courage because God is restoring all things with his kingdom. Verses 22 and 23 are a reference, are a quotation from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah lived 700 years before the birth of Christ. And in that, he made, God made a promise and said that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's in a passage where God is promising through Isaiah, yes, you're going to go under siege. Yes, you're going to go into exile. But one day that I personally am going to come and I am going to restore the kingdom. What I love about this quotation is that in 1946, a young shepherd boy, while looking for his family's sheep, threw rocks into a cave heard something break, and end up finding one of the greatest discoveries that uh, archaeology has ever found. And they found 
among many, many other biblical documents, they found an intact scroll from the book of Isaiah that was written between 100 and 300 years before Jesus was born. So even up until 1946, some people would say, oh, somebody just added some verses to Isaiah to make it sound like this was about Jesus. And then we found a document written before, the, the handwritten before Jesus was born, including this verse. And so nobody can say God did not promise that he would do it this way. And so Matthew is pointing us in this verse to the fact that God is fulfilling his kingdom and Jesus is the one through whom he's going to do it. Matthew is saying to the Israelites, guys, this is now going to be a time of abundance. The kingdom of God is at hand. God is restoring all things through Jesus. And so as we look at the fulfillment of this passage of Scripture, the call to us is to take courage because in Jesus, at Christmas, God is restoring all things to himself. God is actually bringing his kingdom to pass. And so we come to Christmas looking at the world and going, what's happening with this world? Whether it's things in my personal life, whether it's things in my community, whether it's things in in our country, whether it's things that are happening around the world, we can look at the world and go, God, are you really at work in this? God, have you abandoned the world in this way? And Matthew is pointing us, no, God in Jesus is reconciling the world to himself. I'm reminded of uh, that that reality of we, we live in the kingdom of God And yet there's so many things that are left undone. I'm reminded of that the time in between the end of wars, when the word is actually still going out to the soldiers on the front line that the war is over. In, In this modern day, we can in milliseconds send word around the world. But throughout history, it would often take weeks, if not months. And so soldiers would be dying fighting for something that back home has actually already been finished. They, they didn't get the message yet. And so I'm reminded of, like, of the fact that right now, Matthew is saying that Jesus is, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to bring his kingdom to pass. I'm reminded that we live in the middle of that now and not yet reality. That, that the kingdom of God is at hand, but it's not been finished. That... that God's kingdom has not been fully manifested. And so we we live in between those two realities. And so then in this passage, the call is to take courage that God is restoring all things to himself. But can we become the kind of people who say, we have the news and we're not going to interpret the news of God's kingdom based on the things that we see, but on what God has promised and said that in Jesus, all of his promises are coming true. The kingdom of God really is at hand in Jesus. Even if the world outside me is right now still battling and still fighting and still hasn't gotten the message yet, can we become the kind of good news people that take courage because we know that God has come to us and he's come to bring his kingdom. The second conviction that drives extraordinary courage from this passage is that God comes to us as a shepherd. Verse 2, or I'm sorry, chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. It's the next fulfillment in this. And it says, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, I'm sorry, Herod called together the chief priests and asked where the Messiah would be born. And they said, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
He's pointing, uh, Matthew is pointing to a prophecy from the book of Micah, written 700 and, between 750 and 686 B.C. And Micah, in a passage, who is saying the kingdom of God will one day come true. And the kingdom of God is going to mean security. It's going to mean a ruler is coming. And Micah 5.2, he says, for out of you will come a ruler. And what I want you to notice is he doesn't say, for out of you will come a ruler, and he will be a warrior. For out of you will come a ruler, and he's going to be a hunter. For out of you is going to come a ruler, and nobody is going to push him around. For out of you will come an engineer who's going to fix everything in just the right way. No, he says, for out of you will come a ruler, and he's going to be a shepherd. Israel, the thing that you need is not somebody to stand out ahead of you exploring and fighting, although other passages of Scripture point to this. But Bethlehem, what you need is you need a king who's going to come to you gently who's going to care for you, who's going to defend you from the things that are going to attack you, who's going to feed you, who's going to give you a place to rest in security. And so we can actually take courage as we look towards a new year, knowing that the God's king comes with great compassion. God's king comes with great compassion. And so the things that you are going to be facing in 2020 in the next 10 years and in the next 20 years, are not going to take him by surprise. And there will be times where we want him to be a different kind of leader, where we want a different kind of ruler. God, why can't you just take out a sword or a bow or a machine gun and fight? He comes to us with great compassion and tenderness. This is one of the images that we see throughout the Old Testament. It's not incidental that God could have used all sorts of other imagery for himself, but when he comes to Israel throughout the Old Testament, he promises them, I will come to you as a shepherd with deep compassion, with great love, with great protection for you. So, what conviction does this fulfillment of Scripture, it provokes in us. We can take courage because we cannot. We know we cannot go out beyond God's compassion. We're not going to go so far that he says, serves you right. Instead, he will be like a shepherd who comes pursuing us, saying, look at how far you've gone. Come, let me carry you like a, like a lamb. Let me carry you back to the flock. Let me carry you back to green pastures and to water. And so we can go into 2020 with things that we're afraid of. We can go into future years with things that we don't know how that we will, they are going to turn out. And we can know that in every moment, God will be relating to us as a shepherd with great compassion. And that gives us this conviction that we can go out, we can venture, we can try things, knowing he's not going to wag his finger at us. And say, you should have known better. Instead, he's going to say, welcome home. Welcome home. Come back to where it's good. The third conviction that drives extraordinary courage from this is we can take courage because the law has been fulfilled. Chapter 2, verse 15. It says, well, it says that Joseph and Mary and Jesus went to Egypt. This is where that he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. This is a reference to Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, written in 750 B.C. This is in a passage where God is talking about and promising the fulfillment of the kingdom. And he's talking about Israel's disobedience in all of the ways that Israel has rebelled. But I'm going to send somebody who's going to fulfill the law on your behalf. 
I'm going to send somebody just like I sent you down to Egypt and you came out grumbling. I'm going to send somebody down to Egypt in your place who's going to come out with thankfulness. I, just like I sent you into the land of Israel to conquer and to care for it and to live under me as your great king, you rebelled and turned against me and set up your own idols and set up your own kingdoms. Hosea 1 says that he will send his son to Egypt. So Jesus is the fulfillment of all of Israel's history. Graham Goldworthy says that what we find when we look at the Old Testament is we find this, it's a story of hopes and disappointment. These, these promises of God and Israel thinking, this is it. We finally got it. I'm reminded that, that when, when Abraham tries to take the promises of God into his own hands, has a son by his handmaiden, Ishmael, think, ah, this is it. No, that's not the fulfillment of God's promises. Then God gives Abraham a son by Isaac, and, and Abraham's like, this is going to be it. But no, Abraham never owned the land. It's what we see when Jacob has 12 sons. Now we're going to fill this land and we can take it. And yet, because of a famine, they're sent down to Egypt. Family ends up in slavery in Egypt. No, this wasn't it. It's what we see when the, the people of Israel say, finally, we have a king who is taller and stronger and a better warrior than anybody else, and yet Saul turns away from God in disobedience. It's what we see time and time again when we look at the Old Testament. Yes, we finally got the promise. This is it. And yet, it goes through their fingers like sand or like water. The promises of God. We can't grab onto them. We can't make this happen on our own. And Hosea 11 and Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, says that Jesus is the true fulfillment of all of those promises. And so all of those other attempts to make God's promises come true fall to the wayside. What we find is that the calling and the obligations on Israel are fulfilled in Christ so that those who are found in Christ find that the law is fulfilled. And that can drive extraordinary courage because we know that there's no law out in front of us that God is one day going to say, look, you blew it. Look what you did. You're cut off. Go away. Romans chapter 10 verse 4 says that Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And so what does 2020 look like when the law has been fulfilled on your behalf? That means that there's not going to be anything out there that you can do that will make God love you less. And there's nothing you could do that would make him love you more. I'm reminded that just like God created everything by saying, let there be light in Christ, God says, let there be righteousness for all who believe. And so that's for you and for me. We can have extraordinary courage because the law is not something we're trying to accomplish for God. It's actually something God has accomplished for us. And so now we can walk in that. We can try things in that. We can venture in that. The law of God is kept on your behalf. So take courage. The fourth conviction from this passage that drives extraordinary courage is that God is in control even as the world fights. Chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. I always wondered, why this detail? God, why did, why did all of the baby boys have to be killed? And 
on some level, in God's wisdom, I still don't understand that. But I was always like, why this detail? When If we look at Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15, it's written between 626 and 586 B.C. We, we find the, the promise of God restoring the, everything in his kingdom. And then there's this little verse. Like everything is happy, and then this is here. Everything is great. The promise is coming true. God is restoring the kingdom to Israel. And yet there's still some weeping. Was it just so that God could say, see, I told you so? I think that what we end up finding here is that God is in control even as Herod and his soldiers are doing their best to fight against God's kingdom. Even as Satan is doing his best to do God's work on a different timetable. Let's kill Jesus early. Let's end this thing right now. What we end up finding is that God is in control. He's restoring His kingdom. Satan and those that follow Him are fighting against it. But nobody can overturn what God is doing. And so there, this conviction begins to kind of well up in our hearts that we can rejoice even though we have tears in our eyes. Even though we look at the, the world fighting, even though we look at all of the brokenness of the world, the brokenness of our hearts, brokenness of our families. And we go, God, we can trust that just like in Jesus' story, you are in control even as the world is fighting against what you're doing. Even as my own heart fights against what you're doing, God, I am going to trust that you are still in control of those things because it's always been that way. P.D. James wrote a book called Children of Men been made into a movie with that I don't, won't recommend for a few reasons, but the book is a story set in the future where the last child was born 30 years before the start of the book. They don't really explain or even understand why no children have been born in 30 years. And so the world's just fighting, fighting against one another, battling against one another, trying to, to get control, trying to make some meaning of life. And there doesn't seem to be any future for anybody. And the story starts with a young woman who gets pregnant. And then everybody wants to fight to get that baby. I mean, imagine how they don't know what happened. So everybody's trying to get control of this young woman and her baby. Or her soon-to-be-born baby. And it's a story that follows a, a man trying to help her get to a safe place. And I love that book. This Christmas season gotten a little out of control. It feels like the, the time has been short. But it, it, in some ways, it's a Christmas book because the, the climax scene of the book is in the middle of a war zone as the entire world is fighting. This young woman and this young man go into the woods, into a clearing, and a baby is born. And everything kind of stops. The battle stops for just a moment. The, the world just kind of stops doing anything for just a moment because here in the middle of a war zone, baby is born. This baby of promise has been born. And it, a few moments later, after the world stops its fighting and looks on in wonder, then the world goes back to fighting. And they move on to try and get to safety. And I'm reminded that in this story, as the people around Bethlehem weep and mourn for these babies that are lost, we find this picture that the world is going to fight God is still in control, still working out His plans. 
this baby is born to save the world. And one day the fighting will stop when he comes back. And so we're called, we can take courage. Yes, the world is still fighting. We can rejoice that we have tears in our eyes. This baby, born to save the world. Nobody's going to stop him. Nobody's going to stop what he is doing. And so you, maybe this Christmas, need to hear this story at Christmas so that you don't get caught up in the chapter that you're in. This hardship, this hardship that you're facing, you need to hear this story again, that God is in control and the fighting that you're living with right now, the battle, Satan's kingdom that you see so strongly, is not the whole kingdom. Jesus is born. and Jesus will win. And the fifth conviction that this passage drives, chapter 2, verse 23, says that Joseph took Mary and Jesus and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophet that he would be called a Nazarene. I mentioned last week that there is no reference to Nazareth in the Old Testament. And so it seems that what he's referring to here is that by the time of Jesus, the term Nazarene, a term of derision, kind of it's a worthless person that's no good for it's, it's a despised person that, that's not worth your time. And what we find in John chapter 1 is Nathaniel saying, Jesus is from Nazareth. What good things come from Nazareth? What we find is that idea that Jesus would be despised. Where do we see that? We see it in Isaiah chapter 53. We see it in Psalm 22. Isaiah 53. It says, He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he, bore, he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. This passage can drive extraordinary courage as we realize that Jesus was despised so that we can be welcomed. Jesus was rejected so that we could be drawn in. Jesus was the one that was sent away and that was pushed down and that was crushed so that we could be raised up, welcomed into God's kingdom. Matthew begins right here at the beginning to focus our attention on the fact that yes, Jesus is the promised one, Yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, God's kingdom is being restored. But don't make a mistake. Jesus was despised and rejected. This is not going to be the kind of king that you'd hoped for. This isn't going to be the kind of kingdom that you'd planned on. It blows up our expectations when we look at the Christmas scenes and we end with this detail. Here he is, little baby Jesus, despised and rejected. Why does Jesus have to be despised and rejected? Why couldn't God choose another way? The reason that Jesus had to be despised is because in all of these things, I'm not naturally on Jesus' side. If this is God's kingdom and this, if, if this is God's king, in every way I set myself up on my own side. Setting myself up against God and His ways. I don't want anything to do with him and his kingdom. Obedience is a bad word for me. Submission is something that never crosses my mind. And so I need somebody who will come and who will obey on my behalf. 
I need a compassionate shepherd who will come and chase me because every time on my own, I run away from the flock and try to make my own life on my own way. I need somebody to come and fulfill the law for me because I cannot do it for a single moment. Not a single day. God is, I need somebody who will come and fight for me because I have been fighting against God in every way, at every moment. I need somebody to come and be despised because I've despised God and His ways. And what we find in the Gospel is that Jesus fulfills all of these things for us so then we can go and live new lives with extraordinary courage because it doesn't depend on us. We are following one who's done it all for us. The story of the Bible is the story that God made the world and He made it good. The story of the Bible says that God put humans in it and said they are very good. They will be under me as little kings. And I will be the great king. And together we will make something beautiful and wonderful of this world. It reminds me of this dance that God has invited humans into. And we say, no, we would rather have a different partner. God, you will not be out with us. And so the Bible says that God drove Adam and Eve away from his presence. Because they rejected him, which is what the Bible calls sin, God promised that one day he would come. That he would come and make it all right. That he would undo all of the things that Adam and Eve and you and I have done in our sin against God. Instead of bearing the guilt and the future of hell and separation from God, Jesus came and lived the life that we should live, died the death that we should die, and was raised to new life. So that all who turn away from sin, turn away from rebellion, and turn to, to Jesus, and take Jesus' obedience, and take Jesus' death, and take Jesus' life, can be welcomed into God's family, into God's kingdom. Finding ourselves and our place, not just in His kingdom, but in His family. And with all of the rights and privileges of Jesus. If you hear that story and you say, I want that to be my story. I want that to be mine. I feel something happening in my heart. Please come and grab me. Grab me at the end of the service. Grab the person that brought you. This is too important that we actually go from a kingdom of darkness to this kingdom of light. The baby King Jesus, now the risen King Jesus. So this passage, these five passages, the fulfilled promises of God call us, take courage. God is at work. God is keeping His promises. God is at work in your life. And so then we can begin to look at 2020. and We can look at the next 10 years and we can say, this drives extraordinary courage. This is what can actually come up underneath as life and family and work and dreams begin to crumble, we can take heart because God is actually restoring all things. We can take heart because God is a compassionate shepherd, not leaving us alone. Jesus keeps the law for us, and so no shame or guilt coming from outside can weigh us down. Even as the world fights, they will not undo what God is doing. Jesus is despised so that no matter what situation we find ourselves in, we can be welcomed with God. And that can begin to drive a a new kind of life in a family, in a person, in a church. As we say, this is what Jesus has done for me, and so I'm going to leave from Christmas with these kinds of convictions. 
Not just looking forward to more celebrations next year, but I can actually live in a new way this year. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that you made promises hundreds of years in advance, that you kept those promises. And so now we can be convinced that you are at work in us, through us, and in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. We're so glad you joined us for Not Alone. Please connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and at BelgiumChurch.com.